This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, so uh, I guess it's a welcome back, actually. It's been, it's been uh, almost, uh, almost three weeks, uh, two weeks off. Um, okay, but for good things, Baruch Hashem. Okay, so tonight we are learning to Rafuashamatu Yechaska Ben Tila, Fuashamatu Yaakov Adam Ben Simachaya, and Lilu Ishmat to Rafael Fuad Ben Rina Rita, and Rafuashamatu Simcha Bat Bracha. Barbara. Okay, maybe it was Bracha, we never know. Okay, so now, um, okay, what other announcements? Everyone's invited to join us. All women are invited to join us at 1601 Quentin Road every Thursday. Um, at 8 p.m., but again, like the past two weeks, uh, just, you know, do find out, you know, reach out to me beforehand just to make sure we do have, uh, we do have class. Okay, so, n- what? Hmm? Women only. Right, women only. Okay. If I say women only, then all the men are going to come. Okay, so, um, now, the, I have students that uh, they, they rarely come to classes, but uh, they want to come to this Thursday class. They really want to come to this Thursday class. So it's always, that, it's always that way. When you can't do something, that's when you want to do it. When you can't get something, that's when you want it the most. You have somebody, um, you know, let's not get into, into, get too much off topic. Let's begin. Okay, so now, tonight's topic, very, very interesting topic. We're getting close to the end of our Mashiach series. Tonight, what I want to discuss is, besides Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef, also, uh, a very important, you know, question and, and, you know, idea to contemplate is we know that we're currently in the exile of Edom and in the exile of Yishmael simultaneously, both. So now the question is, who's going to who's going to last last? Who is going to last last? Who's going to be the last one standing? Is it going to be Edom or is it going to be Yishmael? So Bezalel Hashem, hopefully, we'll discuss that tonight and figure out who is going to be the last one standing. So now, before we we even begin explaining the differences and, and why we need uh, two Mashiach, Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef, we have to really understand the, uh, the root of, of the need for the two Mashiachs. So now, when the world was created, uh, Adam was given a job. And Adam's job was, do not eat from the etzadas. You have to go, uh, really the focus of Adam was self-rectification. It was so, sort of like Adam had to perfect himself. How was Adam perfecting himself? Was through the fact of listening to God to the things that he needed to, that he needed to listen to. So now, when Adam went, and Adam and Chava went and, and went through the sin of the Chet, of the Eta Egel, uh, of the... Very good. Okay, so someone's listening. The Chet of the Etzadas. Okay, I'm a little bit, uh, uh, you know, in two different places right now. In the Chet of the Etzadas. So they did not do the Chet Egel, so whoever is with me, uh, that was uh, many, many, many generations later. It was the Chet of the Etzadas. So when Adam and Chava ate from the Etzadas, there was a, um, a ramification that happened from that sin. So now what, what, are the, what were these ramifications? When, try to understand this, there's, um, what I'm about to explain is something known as Tikkun Adam and Tikkun Olam. Now whoever doesn't understand this, let me try to give a little bit of, of a background into it, There's a little bit of Kabbalistic terms. So now, when you do a mitzvah, we know that it affects you. It affects you. When you do a sin, we know that it affects you. That, that's a very, very obvious, a very, very, uh, you know, common understanding, you know, you know, uh, you know, idea that when you don't listen to God, that it not only, it's not only the fact that you did something wrong, but it's also that it affected you on a personal level. Like you become different. And if you could think of an example like this, that let's say somebody goes and, and, I don't know, steal something. So, besides the fact that they did something wrong, it also affected who they are as a person. Because now they stole something. So now what happens is, one example, would be the next time they have the temptation to steal, 
they might be more easily, you know, subdued into their temptation to steal because they've done it before. So they have some sort of, of connection to that, uh, to that sin that they have, and it changes who they are as, as a person. Now, in order to rectify that, you have to do a tikkun adam. You're, you're doing a personal rectification. But there's also another aspect whenever you do a sin or whenever you do a mitzvah. It affects the surrounding around you. Now, I really should have done uh, this research uh, beforehand, uh, but I remember hearing about this. I don't think I read this anywhere. That in San Francisco, there, it's known to be a, a to'eva capital, right? A, a place where they have a lot of, of, of problems and sins against God in uh, the interpersonal relationship world. And what they did was, and they found that the animals also had similar character traits regarding their relationships the same way as the people. Now, in case, you know, let me not speak in code. Uh, so people just, just follow what I'm going on. They follow the, the cleanest way possible, right? So the, in, in San Francisco, they, they go with the same gender. They found out that the animals also go with the same gender. And it's something that was very fascinating. Again, I didn't read the research behind this, but this is something that I heard more than once. And what's interesting about it is the concept behind it. The concept behind it is that when you do a sin, it doesn't only affect you, it affects your surroundings. We know, for example, when you're going to a holy place, the, whole, the place in itself is holy. Look at the grave sites. Besides the people that are there, look at the places that we had the Beth HaMikdash. When you're doing Kedushah, it affects the world, it affects the earth, it affects the ground around you. There are certain places that have stronger and strong, certain places that have a weaker uh, sense of a closer connection to spirituality. So, when someone does a sin, it affects them and it affects the surroundings as well. So there's two aspects here that need to happen. There's a tikkun adam and there's a tikkun olam. Tikkun adam is, a, is fixing yourself personally. Tikkun olam is fixing the world in, you know, in a sense of, of, you know, there's a many facets to this, but let's speak about it in one facet that there is, there's, the, the sin seeps into the ground, if we could speak it like that. One, one, one explanation on it. So now, when Adam Elishon did the sin, when Adam Elishon had the first Obligation. Don't eat from that. That all his obligation was do tikkun adam. Fix only yourself. But when he sinned, that all of a sudden imbued into the ground. It became into the into the world, and now the world became a world of impurity, a world of death. Beforehand, there wasn't any death. There was a lot of uh, of, of issues. Now it affected the earth itself. That also needed the tikkun. So. There is there there. This is where it came into it split into like a tikkun olam and tikkun adam. Now the. Human beings, you know, especially the Jewish nation, even the non-Jewish nation, we, we have a responsibility. We have to go and listen to Torah and follow, follow God. And by doing that, we fix, fix ourselves and we fix the world around us. But what happens, we have many generations after Adam, that not only did they not fix themselves, they actually made it worse. They made it worse not only for themselves, but also for the world itself. And that's why what happened eventually, eventually something called a flood happened. The flood, what was the flood? The flood, they sinned so bad that the flood, the earth itself had to be put in the mikvah. The world was in a mikvah. Why? Because the world itself was impure. It says even the animals, the, the tikkun needed was in a much higher level. As the generations went by and the Torah was given, there were some people that were able to, uh, you know, go towards the completion of tikkun olam and tikkun adam. And some people obviously went the opposite way. But where it reached the fruition, the maturity level, was by two special personalities in the Jewish history that focused on these and were able to bring it to a fruition. Uh, to, to a level of, uh, of maturity even better. And that is, Tikkun Adam was brought to fruition with, uh, with David Amalek. And then you have Tikkun Adam that was brought to, into fruition with Yosef HaTzadik. And here's where we can start introducing, there is a Mashiach Ben Yosef and Mashiach Ben David. Right, you're getting, you're following me so far? I'm trying to make it as clear as possible. I spoke of this to, you know, to the guys and 
you know, like, we, we didn't get anywhere. Like, it was just, and I realized I have to speak a little bit clearly, and maybe, to, maybe a little bit slower, to try to understand this concept. So we know that one of the things that we're doing before, when Mashiach is we're trying to bring it to the level before the Chet. So what we need to do now, we need to do a tikkun olam and tikkun adam. And now we have two Mashiachs. One Mashiach is, in, was, was, is connected more to the, the tikkun adam, but one, one Mashiach is connected more to tikkun, uh, tikkun olam. Okay, that's the basic, uh, you know, basic uh, simple understanding of it. When you go and, and when people generally say Mashiach, they usually refer to Mashiach ben David. So we know there's Mashiach ben Yosef and there's Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben David is the one that it's most commonly associated with. Not like... I should put my phone in silent? You're right. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. No, every person has the ability, every person has their own tikkunim that they need to do based on their roots of their soul, based on what they, sins that they did in this life, in the previous life, and so on and so forth. So everybody has their own tikkunim they need to do, but their tikkunim, listening to the Torah, for example, just the basic, is, is a, not only affect you, it affects also the tikkun alam as well. So it affects different, different aspects. Of it, one t- a, a, a different understanding, which I don't want to get into, is why you have before Mashiach comes, you have Jews throughout the entire world, and even if Jews do not live there, they're on business there for some reason. Every time they make a bracha, there's a, there's a large ramifications to all these, uh, you know, all the, the dispersion, the reason for the exiles. There's a whole lot to speak about it, but uh, it's deep and complicated. And let's try to go a little bit on the even the simpler one is complicated. So we'll try to go on the simple path, but yet still, uh, you know, a bit complicated. So now, when when discussing Mashiach, you, most people realize that this is focusing on Mashiach ben, Yosef, ben David. Mashiach ben Yosef is known to come from the, obviously from Yosef, but actually specifically from Ephraim, from the, from the tribe of Ephraim. And some say that it comes from the descendant of Yehoshua ben Nun. Some say it's Rav ben Abad, um, you know, as well. So Mashiach ben Yosef is supposed to come a little bit before Mashiach ben David. So it's Mashiach ben Yosef, and then Mashiach ben David, ben David comes. Now what is the purpose of Mashiach ben Yosef? So we said already beforehand the concept of tikkun olam, tikkun adam, but what is the, the, the physical purposes, you know, as well? So one of the, one of the purposes of Mashiach ben Yosef is to prepare the world for Mashiach ben David. And it's gonna be in, in, you know, different, in different ways. There's also, uh, could speak about Chuba, bringing the Jewish people closer, um, it's gonna be through wars. There is also a concept of, of retrieving the utensils of the Bet Migdash, which we know they're no longer, you know, majority of them are no longer under Jewish possession. Uh, there's different arguments and hearsay and uh, conspiracy theories. If it's in the Vatican, blah, 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 whatever it is, who knows? Whatever it is, this is Meshach ben Yosef's uh, job. Let's try to hold, keep the questions till the end, and then we'll we'll um, uh, we'll, we'll try to answer all the questions. The third uh, third uh, the third thing is his opinion that says that also that he, that Meshach ben Yosef will gather all the Jews to the to you know to El Tisrael. The fourth reason is that there will be a war. And that really is the focus of Mashiach ben Yosef. He's going to go and he's going to fight against uh, the wicked nations. What is the purpose for this? It's going to be three, it's a three, three, trifold, I guess you could call it, uh, purpose. Number one, to fight against Amalek. Number two, to, uh, eradicate Edom. And number three, to eradicate and destroy Yishmael. So that is the focus of Mashiach ben Yosef. However, the ending of Mashiach ben Yosef is not so great. The ending of Mashiach ben Yosef is unfortunately that he will be killed. Mashiach ben Yosef will be killed. As it says in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, it says, Saftu alav al yachid. They shall mourn on him as if one mourns as an only son. This is referring to Mashiach ben Yosef that he's going to die in battle. This is different opinions on how he's going to die and what's going to happen. But following his death, it's gonna, it's gonna follow with a, a lot, a lot of troubles for the, for the Jewish nation. They're gonna be in the desert, they're gonna go through tunnels and mountains, and eating off the, the weeds of the desert. Tremendous amount of suffering, unfortunately, that will happen on the Jewish, uh, nation after Mashiach ben Yosef, uh, dies. 
asks Rav Haigoin, and he says, why? Why does Mashiach ben Yosef have to die? Like, what, what, why, did, even furthermore, how come God gave permission to the wicked nations to go and kill Mashiach ben Yosef? And Rav Haigoin says, this is going to be the, the test. This is going to be a test, and is one of the final tests, in, sen- in a sense, before Mashiach comes, that what are the Jewish people going to say? Jewish people that didn't listen to this class, at least. What are the Jewish people that didn't know this concept? They're going to say, listen, we waited for Mashiach. For how long? For so long, and now he comes, and now he dies? Yalla, I'm out of this religion. They're going to leave the, the Jewish religion, and they go, they're going to go out, you know, elsewhere. Says Rav Haigoin, this is going to be a final test to see if you're going to stick to it, or you're not going to stick to it. The Chafetz Chaim goes and, and says also that you shouldn't be you know, surprised by the success of the wicked people. He says this too is a test. Obviously God has calculations for each of the wicked people. You have obviously you know, questions all the time. You see people at Mechalei Shabbat, people that go against religion, people that go against God. Let's even not Jewish, they go against God. They're like, how come they're so successful? Whatever God has a reason for that, God has a reason. But why is it they're successful and why is it bothering you? Because this is a test for you as well. This is a test. Are you going to follow God or are you not going to follow God? This too, Mashiach ben Yosef, death is also going to be uh, you know, a test. 40 days after the death of Mashiach ben Yosef, that's when Mashiach ben David will be revealed. And uh, this will, he will revenge the, um, revenge or avenge? Avenge, thank you. Avenge the death of Mashiach ben Yosef. And there's going to be a resurrection of the death of Mashiach ben Yosef. And then this is where the days of Mashiach begins. That's where the, day, that's where the days of Mashiach start happening. Now, Rav Yagon goes and says that all this storyline is not necessary. It's contingent. It doesn't have to be this way. If... Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't have to die. In fact, to even that extent, the Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't even have to come. It could even be Mashiach ben David, you know, right away. The, the underlining factor that depends on all of this is depending on the Jewish nation. If the Jewish nation follow the ways of the Torah and do tshuva and come back, then there's no need for all of that. And it doesn't, it doesn't even have to come to that. In fact, this is an opinion why the Rambam, Maimonides, doesn't even mention Mashiach ben Yosef. Why? But why does he mention so one, one answer is, is because it doesn't have to be Mashiach ben Yosef. It could be directly to Mashiach ben David. It could go directly if the Jewish people are worthy. And it doesn't have to be 100%. It could be partially. It could be Mashiach ben Yosef comes, but Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't have to die, depending on the level of the, of the Jewish nation. This is also very interesting. I pick up a lot, you know, the, 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 one of the things when we say Shimon Asa, we say, when we daven, and we say, David You should establish the throne of King David. One of the things that, you know, in I'll pick up a lot that you should have in mind is that Mashiach ben Yosef should not die during the war. These are the, one of the, one of the tefillot, one of the prayers that we, we pray that Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't have to die in the, in the war of, uh, in the final war. So, we see over here, you know, quite a few interesting facts, you know, like, uh, you know, ideas on, on Mashiach ben Yosef. But all of this all depends on us. And this, in fact, is an underlining concept, if you could call it, on everything that happens. The Israel, the Jewish nation, everything at the end of the day depends on us. And it doesn't depend if we're going to have funding for the army, and it doesn't depend if we're going to be able to go and support the, you know, the, you know, the, the IDF, or we have, we're going to have political, you know, people supporting that. It all depends on one thing and one thing only. It all depends on how is your spiritual standing. If your spiritual standing is strong, then you're going to be taken care of. If it's not, then it's not going to be taken care of. As much as we start running around all these things, yes, we have to do Ishtabut, we have to do our efforts that we have to do to to, to ensure our safety. But bottom line, it all depends on one thing. Everything from the beginning of creation till Mashiach comes all depends on spirituality. Everything else is just the, the, the little, you know, pawns that are in the, you know, that, that are just moving little spaces one at a time. Underlining all of it is spirituality. So now, we can begin to understand and, and delve into the concept of the four exiles and where Ishmael comes in and how does this affect 
Meshach ben Yavid and Meshach ben Yosef. So we spoke previously about the four exiles, the, the, the exile of Babel, of Persia, of Greece, and of Edom. The question is, why isn't Yishmael in this list? And we spoke about this previously, we spoke about it, you know, uh, you know, uh, this is talking about two years ago, when we, before we, we took the break of Mashiach. But uh, during, during that time, we spoke about you know, different ideas on, Mashiach, uh, on, on Yishmael, but this is where I really want to come to, uh, you know, to, to close everything together. And what's fu- what the funny thing is, a sadly funny thing is, is that back then, when I was saying some of the classes, I remember saying, or I, I hope it was on camera, I don't know if it was on camera, there were certain things that would be unclear unless you heard this type of class. Especially Ishmael lectures that I gave before. So, you know, it's a little bit two years, you know, a little bit too late, but uh, better late than never. So we know that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in his dream, this, there was a monster. Um, and I'm not talking about like a cookie monster or under the bed type of monster. This was a prophetic type of, uh, uh, you know, of a, of a dream. That the monster's head, maybe I shouldn't say monster, because if I can say a dream and a monster, you think a toddler. Uh, but there was a, um, a, being, right? And the head was made out of gold. And each body part is referenced to a different, a different exile. The, gold, the head of gold is referenced to the exile of Babel. The body was made out of copper, and that is in reference to uh, Greek. The arms are made out of silver, and this is in reference to Parasamadai. And the legs, which is the two longest parts of the limbs of the body, that is in reference to Adam and Ishmael. It's a shame that we gave, took such a long break because this really correlates to the four exiles that we gave, you know, uh, a few weeks ago. The legs, um, I don't know. I don't know what the, what, what, is this mine? Okay. Okay, so now, let's try to understand this. There's a Gemara in, in Avodah Zarah. The Gemara in Avodah Zarah, page two, goes, bless you, gesundheit. How do you say it in Russian? Okay. Um, okay. Ostorov. And uh, no, it's actually not. Oh, no, it's not. Is that a real word? Yeah, it sounded like go away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I thought that was what's the word of going? Araften, isn't it? Oh, wow. Okay. All my Russians are mixing up. Okay, I'm sorry. In my head. Anyways, going back to the the Gemara of Vodazara. The Gemara of Vodazara says like this: says that the, in the days of Mashiach, God is going to take out a Torah scroll. And God is going to go and announce, whoever went and whoever occupied himself with Torah, come and get the reward. So you're going to have, the first nation that's going to come is going to be Edom. Edom is going to come and say like, alright, we're here to get the reward. So God's going to be like, are you serious? Like, what did you do to go and get deserve this reward? He says, oh, what do you mean? He says, we built marketplaces, we built baths, we, we collected a lot of gold and silver. Why do we do all this stuff? Only because the Jewish nation should be able to go and, and serve Torah. God's going to say, you, you did that all for yourself. You, know, you did it for the Jewish. You did it all for yourself. Get out of here. You're not, you're not getting anything. After Edom leaves, guess who walks up? Persia is going to walk in. Persia walks in, and they go and they say, um, the Gemara says, why Persia next? Because they're next in importance. And Persia is going to go in, and they're going to say, oh, we build bridges. We capture many cities. We wage many wars. All for the sake of Israel. And so that they could go and serve to Ah. And what did God say? God says, "What? You, really? You're coming in? You, you did this all for yourself, just like they, just like Adam did. Come on, get out of here. You don't deserve any reward." So, ask the Gma, why should the Persians come in, seeing that the Romans came in and they achieved nothing? Because what are they going to say? They're going to say, "Oh, you know why the Romans don't deserve it? Because the Romans destroyed the second Beit Hamikdash, right? We know that the Romans destroyed the second Hamikdash, but what about Persia? Persia built the second Beit Hamikdash. <laughs> whatever it is. Okay, so um, the." The, I'm going to have to learn it one day in Russian. So, 
the, Persia, the Persians built, helped build the Bet HaMikdash. We know that Achashverosh's son, which comes out of, of Esther HaMalka, was Darius II. He helped, you know, build the Bet HaMikdash. So Persia is going to say, you know why I, Rome, why Edom couldn't get the, any reward? Because they went and they destroyed the Bet HaMikdash. But we built it. Ah, we built it so we should deserve it. Says God, no, you did it also, uh, you know, for yourself. But there's a lesson that we can learn from this a uh, little bit. We're going to pause and we're going to continue with this. Ah, boy, let's, let's, there's a little, few things that we can learn from this. That... Many times in life, very unfortunate, is that we think that we deserve reward. We think that we're good. We're amazing people. Like, we're not, not we're good. We're great. You know, we're a blessing in everybody else's life. You know, everyone's lucky to know me. That's how we feel that we are. And very, un, you know, it's, it's very often that we fool ourselves. Uh, and we convince ourselves that we're really better than we really, really are. The, you know, the, the Chazal tell us that in the entrance of Gehenom, the wicked people are not going to do tshuva. So there are a few questions. This. First of all, you can't do tshuva in the, in the entrance of Gehenom because you're ready in the next world. But even if you could do tshuva, how can it be that somebody will be in the entrance of Gehenom and how can it be that they won't do tshuva? You know what our sages tell us? It's because the wicked people, they don't think that they're wicked. They think that they're good. They think that it's all a trick. They think that it's, you know, just a prank. That it's going to come over there and be like, uh, I'm just kidding, you're going upstairs. You know, you're not going over here. You're going to the good. You know, you're going to the, you know, to get Gan Eden. You're going to heaven. Because when they go over there, they see Gan Eden, they're going to be like, I don't deserve this. You know how much stuff I did? You know what good person I am? So I didn't keep Shabbat, maybe. So I didn't learn. So I didn't dress modestly. So I didn't do this. I didn't do that. But I was a good person. And we convince ourselves that we're good people. Just like Edom and, and Persia. Edom and Persia went and they murdered who knows how many Jews. And yet they convinced themselves that they deserve, not, not that they're good, they deserve reward. Like they came up there first to go to God and be like, you owe us. Like look at what we've done for you. Look at what we have, we have accomplished for you. And when you look at the other religions, for example, you look at Christianity, you look at, you look at you know, Islam, when we look at it, from a Jewish perspective, we'd be like, how could someone be so idiotic, so silly, to say that this is a real religion? You, you just look at simple understanding. The Torah was given in front of three million people. Muslims agree with this, Christians agree with this. And then, for some reason, God decided to change everything with one person. J.C. Muhammad. That, well, like, there's a, there's a track record here. It should have been, if God would have really wanted to change it, do another three million people, or even half of that. 1.5, you know what? Give you, give you 100,000. Let's go really low. Like 60,000 people. One person God had to change the entire world for. And it makes, it looks so idiotic. It'd be like, how could anybody go and say that this is a real religion? But the answer is, it looks idiotic from our perspective. Because we see it from an outside perspective. But somebody who's inside there doesn't see it in that aspect. They see this as a true thing. That This is a very, very important concept. When you're in the garbage, you don't smell the garbage. You're there. Right? You're, you're there. You don't smell it. If you live in a, in a certain area, you don't realize that it's bad until you leave that area. And then you go back and be like, what? I lived in here? Like, like you can't even understand it. So the, 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 the concept of realizing what you're worth and what your worth is not a right word because it brings down self-esteem. Um, what your, your true value isn't either. You get what I'm saying. Level. Thank you. What your true level is, is you have to little step out of your situation. You have to step out of your situation and look down. Not from your eyes, not from your neighbor, but in the Torah's perspective. Are you living life according to the Torah? Are you going and living life according to what God wanted you to live life? If yes, then you consider yourself a good person. But if not, don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself because it's just like the Persians, just like Rome. They're going to go and they're going to come in thinking we deserve reward. How unfortunate it is for us 
the, probably the worst of the worst is somebody who's doing something bad but thinks that they're doing something good. Because that type of person will never change. You have to be honest with yourself. If you're not doing something good, you might not be able to change now. But at least know you're doing something not good. That there is, oh, there's going to be a, hopefully a time in your life that you're going to be able to change in that. But if you convince yourself that it's good, then you're going to come after 120 and you're going to think you're going straight up. Straight up, you know, the stairway to heaven. You're going to straight up, right? Whatever it is. Uh, I don't know. There's a song like that. Uh, but, there is, right? Okay, so. Not everybody. Those are the good people. What? Yes, one of them. Yeah. Oh, well, different. Yeah, I don't know if that's a Jewish one or not, but it's a very, it's a very, you know, very important concept. But yes. Depending on if you did tshuva or not, depending on the level of tshuva. It's a very depressing way that. You learn. Uh, it's, it's not as crazy as it sounds. If you go and you follow the Torah, then there's no reason why you yeah, should... Right. Or you do, there's different kapalot that you could do for it. A kiddush Hashem, for example. Whatever. There's, there's obviously different, you know, different answers. The Rambam says, yeah, the only way that you could atone for it is death. But then that's an atonement. And if you did tshuva. So the final atonement comes, so then you don't have to. Right. So, so there's such a thing as common people not going to get there are, of course, there are people that that don't don't need to go to Gehenna. Again, I, I I'm not out there, and I don't take a roster check, and I don't take attendance. You know, <laughs> you know, I don't sit over there and be like uh, JC. Of course, um, well, okay, whatever. But I'm saying, you know, working down up. Um, but you know, the the. You know, the, don't think of yourself that you have to go to Gehenna. Very, very bad concept where people go and be like, I'm going there anyways. You know, like, or the, the worst saying that, I think the worst saying that exists after all the curse words is, is no, I'll see you in Gehenna. Oh. I'd be like, first of all, speak for yourself. All right? All right? You know, and second of all, like, the, this is a Jewish religion. Christian religion believes, you know, especially, I don't know if it's Catholicism or something like that, that you're born evil, you'll die evil, whatever it is, only if you yeah, go... Right, exactly. It's not, that's, not the, that's not the aspect you that you need to... Not if you don't eat it. No, you do chuba. Do you finally need it? Listen, there's suffering that gets out of Gehenna. There's so many things that get out of Gehenna. I feel like we're going to start a class on Gehenna. Because the, the people say Kaddish for a year because the maximum sentence of a normal Jew who follows the regular, very important to say that because there's obviously extended circumstances, is, is uh, 12 months. So we say Kaddish 11 months saying that this person didn't need to go that, that extended you know, period of time. So we say Kaddish to help a person you know, for that. But does it mean that the person is there for a year? No, not necessarily. Is it true that when someone is there that, um, let's say if they have any chobos, like that they have to like, pay back money or anything, you have to pay back, right? Yeah. Back. Yep, yeah, yep. unfortunately you have to come back for that. Okay, so now... Going forward with it, the, um, you know, yeah, got a detour to Gehenom, and now we're back. Okay, so we learn from Edom and Persia, speaking about Gehenom, right? We learn from Edom and Persia that, that we have to be very careful that we don't fool ourselves. They fool themselves to the extent that they believe not only they didn't do anything bad, that they deserve reward for what they've done. And the Gemara goes, and even furthermore, they even have reasons in their back pocket. 
Like they're so convinced that they even present themselves, but like I have reasons of why I deserve it. And until they finally get the answer, be like you did it for yourself, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I guess uh, you know, and then they walk out. But like they fool themselves to an extent that they fully believe in it. They fully believe in it. So we have to be careful that we don't fall into that, uh, you know, into that, into that. Issues or problems. Now the Gemara goes and continues that every nation after that goes and follows in step and be like, okay, we deserve it. And we say, why do they? Why do they come up? They say, okay, listen. The other nations will say we never oppressed Israel. We never oppressed Israel. We never oppressed the Jewish nation. So we should also get reward for it. But then again, they all get. They all, um, you know, they all they leave. The question is, why is it that these two nations, the two nations the Gemara singles out, is is Persia and Adom? Why these two nations? The answer is because these two nations are going are the most important. Why? Because these two nations are going to be standing until the coming of Mashiach. These are the two nations that are going to be standing. So now the question is: We know that Edom is in reference to Rome, which is you know you know uh, um, the Western world today. You could call it America and so on and so forth. Where's Persia? Who's Persia? So we are, when we when we say, say Persia is Iraq or whatever it is, but the, the essence is what we brought out at, you know out in previous lectures is that it is uh, Yishmael. Says the says ask the Maral. Says why is it if Yishmael is very imperative in this in this exile? How come it was never in the list? We know the four exiles. It should have had a five. Where's the where's Yishmael? Yishmael is in like the extended version. It's in the extended version of it. So I want to share with you something from Rabbi Daniel Glatzin and how he explains it. He goes and he brings down the Maral and he says like this: says that when the Jewish nation was conquered the by by Babel. So now it's like a seesaw. So when the Jewish nation is up, they're down. Now all of a sudden, Babel captured us. So now they're up. Now what happened with Babel? Babel was captured by Palestine. That was by Persia, and then Persia was captured by Greece, and Greece was captured by by Edom, by Rome. So you have the oppression of the Jewish nation was constantly captured by somebody else, and they oppressed the Jewish nation as well. So the way that it works with these four exiles that are very commonly mentioned are in the fact that when they're very correlated to the Jewish nation. They're the ones that oppressed us. So now what happens with Ishmael? Ishmael is in a different category in its entirety. Why? Because there's a specific Unfortunately, very special bracha that Avraham gave Ishmael. God goes over to Avraham and says, "You know, you're going to have another, you know, another nation." What did Avraham go and say? Avraham, Avraham goes and says in Bereshit chapter 17, verse 18, he says, "Lu Ishmael but I have a son. Let this son live before you. Let him follow the footsteps." Ishmael's power has an independent power. All the other powers are independent like a seesaw, depending on the Jewish nation, depending on the other nations. Ishmael has an independent power from the bracha, from the blessing of Avraham. So. When Ishmael is, is, is coming in over here, it doesn't have any relations to the Jewish nation. They have a specific power in, in, in itself. So now the question is that we have two final people, nations standing. We have Ishmael and we have Edom. Who is going to be the last one? We look at the Gemara Yuma. The Gemara Yuma, page 10, goes and says that there's a machoket. Who's going to stand last? Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi goes and says, Rome is going to fall in the hands of the Persian. Meaning that Rome, Edom, America, that's going to be the last one standing. Rav says, Persia will fall into the hands of the Romans. That Persia is going to go, is going to go down and Romans is going to, I said, I switched it. Okay, you followed me so far, right? Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, whatever it is. Right? One says that Persia will last. One says, the first one, which is Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says Persia will last. Uh, Rav says is that Edom will last. So the question is, who do we pass them like? Who do we pass them like? Says, brings down Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. Anybody here familiar with Chad Gadya? 
right? It's where everyone sleeps during the Sadal, right? That's the last, uh, you know, the last part. And people make songs and noises and whatnot uh, with it. So we're not going to go through the whole story, but it was basically a goat that was bought with two zuzim, right? Uh, this is a reference actually to the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation is known as a goat. The two zuzim is known as the shteluchot. But whatever it is, then the then it goes through a, you know, one thing hit to another. You have the dog, the cat, and so on and so forth. The um, it's actually the cat, the dog, the stick, uh, the fire, the water. There are a bunch of things that happen after that, and each one overtook the one prior to that. Now, if you look at it, how many bad guys are involved over here? There are eight bad guys. Eight bad guys, each responding to a different nation. Now, there's some, we said there's four exiles, there's subcategories of exiles, we're not going to get into it because of the time that we have. But in any case, we have to look at who are the final, the final two. The final two bad guys in Hadgad Yam is we have the Shochet, the butcher, and we have the Malach Hamavit, the angel of death. So now, one of these two is Rome, is Adam, and one of these two is Persia. Now, whoever's standing last is the angel of death. So if we figure out who is standing last, then we're going to figure out who's going to be the last one standing in exile. Says Rav Chaim Kanievsky, the shochet is known, the butcher is known as Adam. The Gemara Sachim compares Adam to a shochet. So we see over here that Adam is the shochet. The shochet, the butcher, goes and gets, you know, killed by the Malachim of the angel of death. So who makes that the angel of death? The angel of death is none other than Ishmael. Who's going to be standing last? Ismael. I, whatever, I don't want to say ISIS. But, but you know, the Arab nations, they're going to be the ones that are going to be, says Rukhan, can I say, they're going to be the ones that are going to be standing out last. And this is why the Zohar says that the, the, the Galut, the exile of Ishmael is going to be the most difficult one. They're called Yishmael. Yishma is here, Kel is God. God will hear the screams of the Jewish nation. That's the difficulty of the exile of, of what will be during, uh, during the exile of Yishmael. That's going to be the final, the final exile, even though it's going to be simultaneously, but that's how it's going to work for us. So now let's try to close this all together and understand this so beautifully. If you didn't understand anything until now, you probably won't understand anything now. But if you did understand something, it's going to be beautiful. So now, yeah. So you probably thought I was going the other way. No. Okay. You're going to be completely lost. The, there's a midrash at Tanchuma. It's a little bit of a, of a heavy share. I probably should have said that in the beginning. Guys, you have to concentrate for this class. Okay? So, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there's a midrash at Tanchuma. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in together. It's, it's going to start getting beautiful. If you understood 50% until now, then you'll be able to get there. How about that? I'll give you a discount. All right? It's Black Friday, right? We've got to give you off. Okay. Yeah. Buy one lecture, get one free. Okay. Tonight only, all Torah anytime lectures are absolutely free. So go for it. So now, there's a Medrash Tanchuma that goes and says, let me read it in Hebrew. Hashor ze Mashiach ben Yosef. Hashor is the ox. This is going to be Mashiach ben Yosef. Shinim shal eshor. That is, that is compared to eshor. Vechamor, the donkey, ze Mashiach ben David. Shinema ani rochev alachamor. Mashiach ben David is, is compared to a donkey. Walk is considered as, as uh, it's, it's noted that Mashiach ben David is coming riding on a donkey. So we see over here something very interesting. that the, There's an ox and a donkey. Mashiach ben Yosef is compared to an ox. Mashiach ben David is compared to a donkey. Says the Vilna Gon. He says there's, there's more to it than that. Esav is also compared, is also compared to an ox. And Ishmael is also compared to a donkey. Now what do we see over here? We see over here that you have an ox and a donkey. And this is why, by the way, there's a law that you can't plow an ox and a donkey together. Because it, rec- it represents a combined forces of, Ishma- of Esau and Ishmael. If you put them together, then the power is going to be too strong and they can't be destroyed. So you have, that's why you see also throughout history, they're always against each other. So in any case, not here, neither here nor there. But you have 
the ox and you have the donkey. So the ox is Esav. Who's going to get that? Who's going to get out of Esav? That's going to be Meshach ben Yosef because he's also represented by an ox. The donkey is Ishmael. Who's going to get out of that? Oh, Meshach ben David because he's represented by a donkey. He's, a, he's represented by a donkey based on, the, based on the Midrash over here. So we have here two very important aspects of the two Meshachs and they're each going to come and focus on a different, a different aspect to overcome again in the spiritual sense. The Kabayasha says in this chapter 102, and says if you take the words Edom and Ishmael, it comes out to the numerical value of 502. If you take the amount of years that our Avos lived, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Avraham lived 175, Yitzhak 180, and Yaakov 147, you add that all together, it comes up to 502 as well. You have the Avot coming and going and fighting against the power of Esav and Edom and Ishmael, coming to those, to, to the final, to the final exile. So now, let's take this one step further. This is where it gets whew, so beautiful. All right, stay with me. Edom, we mentioned long, long ago, many, many moons ago, that Edom represents orderliness. Sedel. Everything is very, very meticulous by Edom, by Rome. Everything is very, very meticulous. Look at their, their architecture. Look at their, their understanding, the concept. It's very, very meticulous. From this comes, obviously, arrogance. Edom is known for their arrogance. Ishmael is the flip side of that. Ishmael is known as, the, the, the Pasuk says in Bereshit chapter 16 verse, uh, verse uh, 12, it says, He's going to be a wild animal. His hand is in everything. He's going to be very wild. The opposite of orderliness. The opposite of very, very specific. He's going to be very, very, you know, all over the place. Rashi says, what does it mean? Is that his hands are going to be, he's going to be stealing. He's going to be going through other people and he's going to be taking things that are not, do not belong to him. Says this is the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page ninety-eight. It says, "What do you want to do if you want to be saved in the time of Mashiach? You have to have you do Torah and Gemilut Chasadim. You do those two things, you're going to be saved during the time of Mashiach. Torah and Gemilut Chasadim. Torah is learning Torah, and Gemilut Chasadim is doing acts of kindness." Now says Rav Yitzchak Isaac Chaver goes and explains why specifically those two. So we know Gemilut Chasadim. This is the antithesis of Rome. Rome is what is all about arrogance. It's all about me. You want to get over again? You have to do Gemilut Chasadim. It takes over the power of arrogance. Who we said is supposed to overcome Rome? Stay with me for this. Who is supposed to overcome Rome? Mashiach ben Yosef. Ox. Both of them are ox. Why Mashiach ben Yosef? Mashiach ben Yosef is known for the orderliness. Look at what he accomplished. By the way, this is my own Kedush. I haven't seen this yet anywhere. But why Mashiach ben Yosef? Mashiach ben Yosef is all known about his orderliness. Everything is very meticulous. Why? Look at Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik was able to go and save the entire world from hunger. He went and he did through Sedel. He went and when, the, when it was... When when it was a lot of uh, of plenty, he put on the side, and then when they needed, then he gave it, and then he gave it, you know, to the people that are needed it. But how did he do it? We know that that Adam is all about arrogance. It's all about myself. What did what happened whenever Mashiach, whenever Yosef came according to something? What did he say? Even the dreams, he says, it's not in my hands. It's in God's hands. It's God has the answer to the dreams. Even when he spoke to Paro, he never took credit himself. He went the opposite of arrogance. So we have over here Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef is what is the ox going to overcome the the Adam, which is also comparable to the. What is Adam? Adam is known for arrogance, known for Seda orderliness. Yosef took it and switched it the other way around. He took the Seda, he took the orderliness. He took the concept of going and, and taking something in meticulous and use it for the benefit. And not only that, by saving the entire world, we also said what? That it's Tikkun Olam. Bishab and Yosef is one who does Tikkun Olam. He went and he saved the entire world. How did he do that? Through the Seda, through the orderliness. And how did it come into? Only against the 100% the opposite, 180 degrees the opposite of, of arrogance. Everything is God, Mashiach ben Yosef says. So far, so good. You following with me? Somewhat good. 50%. Okay, you get 50% off today. The, then let's go to the next thing. Then we said, that's Kamilu Chasadim. You have to be saved during the, during the, um, during the uh, time of Mashiach. Then we said, what? Learning Torah. Learning Torah is supposed to overcome what? It's supposed to overcome Ishmael. And what, the, the, why, why specifically? Ishmael is, is known as, 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 as 
like just Yad Bakov Yad Peradam, a wild animal. Wild animal also also means in the physical temptations. In the temptations, they just go whatever it is that they desire. Torah is able to go and inhibit those desires. If you go and you learn Torah, you're able to focus and control your desires. That is what Torah is supposed to, that, that is, that they're supposed to overcome. So you learn Torah, you overcome the power of Yishmael. Now, who is, who is the power of Yishmael? Who is the power of Yishmael? We said that was a donkey. What that? That's Mashiach ben David. What was David Amelech known for? David Amelech was known for that he never slept longer than 60 horse breaths. He never slept. Why didn't he sleep? He wasn't binge watching TV shows, right? He, what was he doing all that time? He was sitting and learning Torah and praying God and writing Tehillim. He was focusing his work and focusing Torah Kodesh Baruch Hu. Everything he says, what is it? all he wants to do is sit in the Bet Midrash. That's what David Amalek says. He says, I don't care about anything. All I want is learning Torah. So what is comes to us? Come to Sheikh ben David. What does it come? The Sheikh ben David is Torah. What does the Torah come to over, overcome the physical temptation? Who has the physical temptation? This, the, this disorderliness, the opposite of, of Edom? That's Ishmael. That you have Ishmael. What is learning Torah? That's Tikkun Adam. That's fixing of that's what David did. And that's what we circle all together. We need to Mashiach. We need to Kunalam, to Kunadam. However, we said that what? That if you go, bring it to another. Again, this is my, my own Kiddushim. I, again, I am, I'm still waiting to go and, and, and uh, you know, find the, the source of this. But I think it's beautiful. And again, if you want to argue with me, by all means, you can. What do we say that if you, we don't need, we don't need Mashiach ben Yosef necessarily? We, what do we have? If we could have Mashiach ben David, if what? If we bring ourselves to a level that we need to. Now what does Mashiach ben David, we just said, represents? Mashiach ben David, again, represents the orderliness, right? We're going backwards. That it's going and it's trying to overcome Yishmael, which is what? Through the, through the Torah. Through learning Torah. This is the Gemara Sanhedrin, page 98, says if you want to go, you have to go Gmila Taslim and learning Torah. What's Torah? Torah is Talmud Torah connected to Kulam. If you have Torah, you have everything. You have Gmila Taslim, you have everything. So if you go and you focus on the Torah, and if you go and you delve into the level, then you won't need anything else, because you can have you have everything. So technically, if we go and we focus on the Sheikh bin David, we focus on that concept, we won't need to come to anything else. After that, we'll have everything. We'll come to, you know, to the, to the Geula. Without needing the war of Gog and Magog, without needing the death of the Sheikh bin David, we'll come to the highest level possible and we'll have the Sheikh coming, not Be'ita, but actually by earlier. There's two times in it. We're going to get to that in a second. So far, so clear? Okay, oh, one person got it. Okay, good. So, oh, two people. Okay, crazy, right? Now, before we have a little bit of time, I actually wanted to, to go and, and speak with the next like uh, um, ten minutes or so about Eliyahu and Avi. But because I feel this is so unbelievably amazing and awesome, I mean, all Torah is, is amazing and awesome. Do you need me to go over that one more time, or do you feel like you got it? If I would, if I could have everybody just look at me very awkwardly and not answer, it would be perfect. That's all I'm looking for. Too fast. Okay, so let's go. Thank you. So let's go over. Let's try to understand this one more time and put it. What I really should have done is should I should have made like a um, a chart. I should have made a chart. Yeah. If I if I would have had something, I would write it here now. Okay. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. Okay. We started from the beginning. There's tikkun olam and tikkun adam. There's a fixing of the world and there's a fixing of the person. And we said that these two powers. Speaking slower. I gotta calm down. The problem is like this. The problem is when I get excited, when I get too, I, get, I speak faster. So, yeah, and then you don't understand. I understand it. I'm like in the clouds now, but you were like, what is he talking about? So, uh, sometimes I guess the clouds is just for me. Um, you know, the, but, so you have tikkun olam and tikkun adam. That's how we start off. There's two 
important facets that we need to do to bring ourselves to the level before Adam Rishon. Adam Rishon only had to focus on himself. When he did the sin, he had to go now and, and, and fix the, um, the, the himself and also fix the surrounding you know, with it. We said that when people don't do the mitzvot, they don't follow the Torah, they affect the world around them and there's a tikkun alam that needs to be done as well and there's a tikkun adam that needs to, that needs to do it, you know, that needs to be fixed as well. Who came to the fruition, the maturity level in the history of the Jewish nation? There were two personalities that came over here. We said that Yosef HaTzadim he was he did tikkun olam. How did he do tikkun olam? We could say one simple understanding, Fred. Again, a lot of this I am going to give you. It's it's my own chiddushim based on different things. So again, argue with it all you want, but I think it's beautiful and I think it's correct until I uh, get this proven. So the concept here is, is very fascinating. Yosef HaTzadik, Tukun Alam, is very beautiful because he saved the world. He was the one who saved the world. He also had made people do, you know, different bit milah and things that he had to do to focus and help the other people and help the world save them physically and save them spiritually. That was Yosef HaTzadik. David HaMelech was Tikkun Adam. Tikkun Adam through, through the Torah and through the Tehillim that he went and he learned. He was the epitome of going and, and, and fixing the Tikkun Adam. So we have over here two fixing and Tikkun. Tikkun Alam, Tikkun Adam. Tikkun Alam with Yosef, Tikkun Adam with King David. Now, this is where we introduced originally Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben Yosef originally, and then Mashiach ben David, uh, you know, coming afterwards. So now, we said that there are t- we're on two final, two final um, uh, exiles. We have the exile of Yishmael, and we have the exile of, 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 uh, of Edom. Now, in each of these exiles, they each represent something else. Mashiach, I'm sorry, Edom represents arrogance, ga'ava, which, which comes from the sense of everything has to be very, very meticulous, very, very orderly. And that's how, that's, you know, that's how they work. They work very, very meticulous, very orderly. And then Yishmael is the opposite of that. The opposite of orderliness. They, they, or, you know, you look at the war, you look at the armies, look at the association between Edom and Ishmael, you could actually see it. You see the difference in it. You look at the way that they act, Edom is also very into physical temptation. Uh, don't get me wrong. But Ishmael is a different level. Pera Adam, he's known as a wild animal, his hands in everything, he just goes in everything, doesn't ask any questions. Right? Uh, Edom asks questions. They might not like the answers and they do it anyways, but at least they ask the question. So there's a difference in over here the, the, the power of the impurities with Edom and the power of impurities with Ishmael. So the powers of, of Edom is more sedot, orderliness, which comes from arrogance. The power of Ishmael is more disorderliness and going after the physical lust, the temptations that you have. Compared to both of those, we had uh, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach, uh, Mashiach ben David. So we said that the Gemara and Sanhedrin goes, and says very simply, you want to get saved from all these uh, problems in Gog and Magog, you have to do two things. You have to do Torah and Gemilut Hasati. And Rav Yitzhak Eisachavar goes and says, very, it works perfectly. You have Torah and you have Gemilut Chasidim. We have the, we have Ishmael and we have Edom. Each one focus on, on them, you know, on, on themselves. By the way, I'm making my own chart in my mind. I hope you're following me in that. Right? So you have over here, you have over here, over here, uh, let's start with Edom. You have over here Edom. Right? So Edom, we known as orderliness and sadel and arrogance. What do you get out of arrogance? You do chesed. Because what happens when you do chesed? When you do chesed, you don't say everything is mine. It says, let me help somebody else. Let me take what I have and give it to somebody else. So you're getting out of your arrogance. Arrogance all me. It all belongs to me and there's nothing to do. But when you do something for somebody else, you reduce your arrogance. You reduce the level of gava that you have. So in order to get rid of Edom, which is the power of arrogance, you go and you give. That's chesed. That's doing that. Ishmael is the power of temptation. 
The Gemara in Kiddushin goes and says that Barati Barati Tavlin. I created the evil inclination, but how do you get out of the evil inclination? There's one way, only one. There's one answer to that question. That's the Torah. If you go and you learn Torah, you learn you learn the, the mitzvot, you learn the halachot, you learn everything that you do. That in itself has the power to overcome the temptation and to be able to overcome your desires. So you have Yishmael, you have Esav, you have Yishmael, you have you have a dom, you have a dom that overcomes that arrogance. How are you going to do that through Gemilul Chasidim? You have Yishmael that has the desire of they're going to come in through Torah. Good so far. You with me? Okay, I'm scrolling up a little bit, so we're going to start from here, right? So now, I don't over here, it's over here. Okay, fine. So now you have over here that we have Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben Yosef is going to come and, and, and represents what? It represents a tikkun olam. A tikkun olam, in a, in a sense, this is coming to go and fix everything through what? Through Sadal. Yosef Atzadik was through Sadal. He went and he was able to take the seven years of plenty and put it away very meticulously. Put it away to make sure that there is enough for everybody else. And not only that, he went and he was able to go and bring them to a higher level, even on a spiritual sense. So Yosef HaTzadik was able to get out, and what did he do that all? He did it all out of what? Out of, not only besides the chesed that he did and saved other people, and he gave them money and gave them food when they didn't have anything, but he did it all without arrogance. Getting out completely of the concept of Edom. This is Mashiach ben Yosef. Then you have Mashiach ben David, which is coming to overcome Yishmael. And, and Yishmael is what is, is, the, is the power of temptation. What comes out of the power of temptation, the disorderliness, that comes in the, the Torah. The Torah, that's going to be able to overcome the, the, you know, these temptations. So this is where you have David Amelach. David Amelach who only focused on Torah, who focused his entire life to the extent that he didn't sleep. He did not sleep for 70 years. For 70 years, he didn't, he, you know, he didn't sleep. He focused only on this. And there's a lot more to discuss about it. You know, I don't want to get too much into it, but Adam Elishon gave to David HaMelech, the 70 years that he went, and for different tikkunim and purposes that he needed to do that. But something fascinating about over here is David HaMelech was all focused with about the Torah, and that was, he was tikkun, tikkun Adam, the personal tikkun, the thing that, that Adam HaMelech didn't, didn't, wasn't able to go and fix. So, uh, 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 I'm sorry, David was going to be able to go and bring it to that level. So what we have over here, we have Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David overcoming Ishmael, Mashiach ben Yosef overcoming the, you know, Adam. You have both of them together, they're coming the two last legs in the dream. The two last legs of the dream of the Babel, the two last exile that's going to come. But we know that what? That you're able to do it. It doesn't have to be Mashiach ben Yosef. doesn't have to come. doesn't have to die. What if we go and we follow the Torah? If we follow the Torah fully, 100% with full devotion and we know that we're doing it, we don't fool ourselves like Parasu Madai. We don't fool, like Persia and Babylon, excuse me. We don't fool ourselves saying that we deserve. We're okay, right? We're reformed, but we're religious. We're conservative, but we're this. We're modern north, but whatever. We follow the Torah the way that it's supposed to. And when we do that, all of a sudden we're true to ourselves. We're true to ourselves. We follow the Torah. Then Bezal Hashem will have Mashiach ben David coming without the need of any destruction any Gogamagog, any death Chasushlam of Mashiach Ben Yosef. Was that better? Okay, Baruch Hashem. This helped? Okay. So, what you're saying makes complete Good question. Does it need the entire Jewish nation to focus on that or not? Um, there is a concept that Mashiach is going to come based off a bunch of Jews sitting together and learning Torah. What does that mean? It means a small group of people. It's true. But I don't know. To tell you if you need everything, you need not. But I'll tell you one thing. Focus on yourself and help the people around you. And you don't realize the effect that it has when you start helping. When, even by you just focusing on, your, focusing on yourself, you, you start going and other people see that. And other people change because of that. There's something very, very fascinating when you see a group of friends. When you see a group of friends and one friend goes and besides come religious, so either what happens is, is that the friends follow them or they completely disassociate. 
and completely, you know, fall apart. But I've seen this time and time again, and I have students like this that became my students. Why? Because one person became my student. And from that, all of a sudden, they brought all their friends, and they came into it. And then I have one student that has a bunch of friends that has no associations with it. Now, it doesn't depend on the person per se, but when you do something good, it has a ripple effect. It affects you and affects people around you. In our day and age with, uh, with science and technology, now the classes that we have over here you know, reach throughout other places in the entire world. Literally the entire world. It's oh, so unbelievable. So you have all these, you know, all these concepts, all these things that, you need, that you're able to do. And you, what you realize is even that if you're sitting over there and you're going and you're doing your own Torah, your own mitzvot, it doesn't only affect you, it affects people around you and, and eventually it will come to the, you know, throughout the entire world. But actually you remind me of one thing when we spoke about Gemilu Chasadim. Um, there is there's something very interesting that um, I'm involved in in a you know in a sense, and I'll tell you what when you when you speak about chesed, so you know like when you give let's say tzedakah, right? The, the, the you know one of the highest level of chesedim, obviously the highest level of chesed is teaching somebody Torah, but you have also something very important is gemilut chesedim. So there are many times when you want to give let's say tzedakah, you want to give charity, and you hear about this organization, and this organization is amazing. But there's something very interesting that you want to give charity, but you end up not doing it. You end up not doing it. There's many times where you have, you know, you hear about an organization and you hear about this, the amazing things that they do and be like, you know what? I should really give in it. And it doesn't take so long to give it. The apps nowadays are amazing. You don't even have to type in your credit card number. You could just scan it. Right, you just do that, and they just writes it for you. Yet those two-step process, the Yitzhah works so strong and says, ah, we'll, "We'll do it. We'll do it tomorrow." You know, let's let, let's balance our checkbooks. Whatever it is, any donation. No, but it doesn't matter. Not during any time. I'm not speaking about Torah. I'm talking about. No, no, I'm no, talking no, about in general. Just like they always have, like, yeah, and you always say exactly. Oh, yeah, that's a good. Re- so sad. So sad. I should really donate. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that sometime. And we we don't right. So there's so many exactly. There's so many. So what are you going to do? You want to help everything. So I want to share with you an organization that came out. Amazing organization. I donate to them. Um, and I, in my personal opinion, is I think that everybody should donate to them. It's an organization called dailygiving.org. Dailygiving.org. I know the, you know, I know one of the founders very well. The other founders have been, uh, you know, I've been, uh, you know, uh, you know, communicating back and forth. Amazing people. And, um, what they do is something very interesting. Is you donate a dollar a day to this tzaka, to this charity. And what they do is every day they give a certain amount of money to a different organization every single day. So every single day, so for example, right now they're giving, I checked it today, right before the class, they have $789 being given out every single day every, to a different organization. You're giving a dollar a day. So you're one of the 789 people. You could be one of those, one of those people. So one day you could give to, for example, this, I want to just list you and you could go on their website and you could see all the organizations that they give. So they have, for example, an organization called A-Time. A-Time. A time, um, which uh, I don't want to get into, but you know, I'm um, what? It's like it's like Bonnie Olam, but A time happens to be my wife's, you know, uncle, and um, and you know, I, I, amazing people, you know, of course, obviously, because I'm related to them. But besides that, they're amazing people. Um, is, is that they help people with infertility? You know how many times people be like, you know what? I would love to get for infertility. Or what about Aish? Aish.com. You'd be like, you know they do a lot of good work. Be like, you know what? I would love to. But what would be the, how often were you going to go and you're going to get to Aish? You go, let's say, for example, Amudim. Amudim is an organization that helps people that are abused. Be like, that's a good cause. I should really get to that. Be like, but I'm not. That's not going to happen. Then you have, for example, a Vigdor's Helping Hand. Never heard about this before. It helps orphans get married. How amazing is that mitzvah? 
Yad Eliezer, you go and you help people with poverty. You have pen, uh, there's an organization called Pantry Packers. They go and they give food to the poorest people in Israel, the poorest families in Israel. You have Hatzalah, you have Hask, you have Chai Lifeline, you have Chazak, you have Cheva Kadisha, people that help people go and bury the dead. You have, of course, you have Torah Anytime also involved in there. I don't have to give you an introduction to Torah Anytime. Everyone knows that, you know, I speak all the time about it. You have all these organizations, and this organization takes nothing. All run by volunteers. You go and you donate to them. So you give them a dollar a day and every dailygiving.org. Every day it goes and it gives to a different organization. So what's, what the fascinating thing is that there's so many organizations that I would love to give. But you're going to give a dollar to an organization? No, but if you're part of a group. Now after this lecture goes on, it's going to go from 789 to 7,890. Whatever it is, it's going to be like everyone's going to sign up. Because it's so, it's, so, it's so amazing. One dollar a day. They do it. You'll go on the website. They usually do by month. Yeah, it's automatically by the credit card. So you give them a credit card, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, send me here three hundred sixty-five dollars. No, so you could either do it by month or by or by year, whatever it is. Go look at it. And you can see it yourself. But the idea is fascinating. There's so many organizations that I want to be a part of. No, don't you want to be a part of so many amazing organizations? But you can't. It's so hard. Boy, you can give every dollar a day. There's a mitzvah to give tzedakah all the time. Here you have something done for you. I think it's genius. It's so amazing. It's so unbelievable. When I heard this, I signed on right away. I'm like, are you kidding me? For like $30 a month, I'm able to do it? I'm able to go. And you see all the organizations. They donate every single day. And you get an email to it, what you, work, what, what you donated to that day. It's so amazing. So unbelievable. So we said, well, what? To come, come to time on the Shia. You have to go. What's funny? Okay, a dollar and four cents a day, right? You could help, you could do so much. When was the last time you gave Hatsala money? When was the last time? Chinese auctions, whatever it is. But it doesn't matter. When was the last time that you went and gave it without thinking that you're going to win a trip to Israel and win a million dollar apartment? And, you know, overseeing the Kotel. I don't know how they have so many of these, but they're all overseeing the Kotel, all have a million dollars, and all Right? How do you, you know, when was the last time that you just gave? That you just did chesed. That you just said, you know what? Without any arrogance, without any gava, ju- I'm just giving. Uh, I'm just, yeah, whatever it is, it's good to give everybody. Uh, I'm not gonna, you know, go and, and say which one. But this is, um, you have an amazing opportunity. This is, yeah. Let me let me just finish my pitch. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, I got my, my my train of thought. So, and then I'll get back to you. The concept of here is so amazing, so so fundamental. To, 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 the, to the Jewish concept. There's so many amazing, amazing organizations out there. And there are times you're going to go up to heaven and you're never going to even realize what you've helped. Who you've helped. Usually when you give a checkbook and you write and you can be like, I helped this, I helped this, I helped that. I know what I helped. You're going to come up after 120. You're never going to, you don't even know what you did. You don't even know the power of what your money goes into. It goes anywhere from, from helping the Torah to helping poor people to helping. It helps. It covers everything. It covers all grounds, it, and it fixes, you know, it, it's something so fundamental, so amazing. So, I remember when I started on, on it, it had like, they had like 200 people or something on it. Now they have 789. So what the, what the, what the beautiful thing is, is that, you know, a dollar a day, everybody could do. Everybody could do a dollar a day. So what you should do is, not only that you should do it, you should go and help other people. We're going and we're trying to build chesed, to bring the Mashiach. How are you going to bring the Mashiach? You go and you spread chesed, you go and you bring back the, the, the true chesed. Chesed without any arrogance whatsoever. You have, the, the organization doesn't know who you are. This is completely giving bitsinah. No one knows who you are. You're giving money every single day. It's something so amazing, so fundamental, so beautiful. With so little, you could accomplish so much. If you don't go, and it's, it's something that you need to do tonight. You, don't, you, you can't wait for these type of things. It's, it's not going to affect you that much, and it's going to affect other people so much. And not only that, imagine if you're going to be able to bring other people on it. I, I think that the idea is amazing. It's, so, it's a bomb idea. It's so, I, 
Such a good idea. I wish I would have done it, right? But I didn't. So what can I do? Now I'm going to promote it, right? To try to that. And again, I give, you know, I give, you know, that, you know, I know, I know plenty of people. You look at their website. They have a, a you know, plenty of, you know, go look at the rabbinical, you know, you know, figures behind it. It's such an amazing thing. I strongly, strongly recommend every single one to go and not only increase your chesed. Also, besides increasing your chesed, also increase your lemutara, increase your learning of Torah, increase the things that we need to go to go and bring Mashiach b'mehera b'amenu. Now you had a question on that, or uh, or something. Kirov is very, very important. So they have Kirov in there also. They give Chazak. They give Torah anytime. They give, they give everything. Kirov is very important because Kirov, you're helping someone spiritually. So it's very, very important. But over here, give Kirov and give this. So give a dollar over here and a dollar over here. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. But there's something so, you know, so amazing. There's no, I've never heard another, you know, organization that says I'll give, you know, take a dollar a day. You know, $18 a month. But it's something, even if you give for one organization, $18 a month, so you're giving one organization. But here you're giving 30 different organizations every month. Can you believe that? It's so, you know, it's so unbelievable. It's so, you know, it's so, uh, it, it's fascinating. And just to explain why it's the four cents, is that's because that's the credit card fee. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Just so that you know. So it, you're actually getting a full dollar to tzedakah. So it comes out to like $31 a month or something. I have to check my, you know, the credit card, what comes out to. But it's something that uh, definitely, definitely you should, uh, you should do. I wanted to speak about Eliyahu and Adi, but maybe we'll save it for, uh, for next time. Um, any questions? The website, what? Oh, it's dailygiving.org. Okay. <laughs> okay. You forward it? Okay, good. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. In a sense, it could be. But there's a lot of... Uh, so the question is, is that Mashiach ben Yosef, does that mean that it's only going to come when it's the final bi'ita? What about the Achishana if it comes earlier? So it happens to be it could be both. Because Mashiach could come even earlier, but it dep- there's different factions on how severe it would be. That like Mashiach, Mashiach ben Yosef can come, but it doesn't have to die. Like So there's different levels in between that. It's not only early or lit or on time, but it could also be early, uh, but, you know, and something, you know, extra on the damaged, you know, part, or something like that, depending on the spiritual standing. But that's why we dive in for it, and, you know, we, and, you know, we, we go and we, we, we try to make sure that it's not going to come to that. We, we, yeah, and just what you should know, like, in general, any prophecy that it's a negative prophecy doesn't have to come true. Negative prophecy doesn't, because if the Jewish people could go out of, it, could get out of that through Torah, like Middle Tassadim, obviously, then they won't need to go into Torah, Tfilat, Taka, obviously, um, as well. They won't need to go into that, into that level. A positive prophecy always comes true. So that's why this can go either way, depending on the level. But the worst case scenario, that's what we discussed. When you say we're, like, I remember months ago when I first came, I remember you were saying about that we're much in the midst of Mashiach and Mashiach's coming. What do you mean by that in terms of, like, I mean, everything is happening also now, like, I think Iran, or Iran, they're already saying that they're going to try to destroy America. So, like, what do I mean by it's happening very soon? I One thing, if you notice, I gave, what is this, my 19th class in Mashiach or something like that? I don't know if I've ever spoken about current events. And for a reason for that. I don't speak about current, current events on, on how it relates vis-a-vis Mashiach. Oh. Why? Very simple answer. I have no idea. I have no, I have no idea like where it goes into it. But one thing we know, and it's not based on me; it's based on what our chachamim, our sages, have said, and what our Torah scholars, the greatest of the generation, say. Now that we're in, that we're we're in the ikfas of the Mashiach, we're in the time of Mashiach. People say they're excited for Mashiach, but at the same time, we know most of the Jewish people are not going to survive. Like in time, like only one third came out. Again, it doesn't have to be that no, the Jewish nation does not, the entire Jewish nation does not survive Mashiach. Again, that's the worst case scenario. We can't even get everyone to keep Shabbos. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Shabbos Project is working on that. All right? We're doing it one step at a time. We're, listen, it's true. You don't give up. 
we got to keep on going. we got to keep on working. we got to keep on fighting. and keep on helping other Jews come closer to, to the Torah. And we have to keep on making sure ourselves are coming closer to the Torah. And step by step, you realize when you're doing a good deed, it affects a Jew in China and in Russia and any of the stands. Uzbekistan, Azbazkistan, uh, Ugly Stand, all the stands. It doesn't matter which ones of the stands it is. It helps all of them. So when you go and you start you know, doing something, you're doing, um, uh, you know, it's helping all, everybody else. Because it's going, it's seeping through. It's a tikkun olam as well. So it helps everybody as well. So even though you don't have a direct correlation to that, you have some sort of, of indirect correlation to other people going, maybe awakening inside of them to go and come closer to Torah and mitzvot. So never give up. Keep on fighting, I guess would be the right word. I said that very unenthusiastically, but keep on fighting. <laughs> Just go for it. Fight, win, conquer. It's a, yes. Yeah, okay, on camera. Any other questions on camera? No questions? Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.